Welcome to 5 Minutes to Midnight. My name is Mohamed Aldefani. In this episode, I'll be talking to Israeli human rights campaigner Miko Pellet about Israeli Jewish attitudes towards the Palestinian people. But first, I'll start by giving some background to place the discussion in context. It's exactly 29 years since the Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat and Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin signed what are commonly known as the Oslo Accords. The Accords were aimed at achieving a peace treaty based on resolutions 242 and 338 of the United Nations Security Council and at fulfilling the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination. But nearly three decades later we are further away from these aims than at any time with the Accords having been used by Israel to buy time to colonize the occupied Palestinian territories with squatter settlements and thereby preclude any possibility of a viable and secure Palestinian entity in those territories. Proponents of the Oslo Accords see them as the cornerstone of a two-state solution. Israel, in the territory occupied by the Zionist militias in 1948 on the one hand, and the Palestinian state in the post-1967 occupied West Bank and Gaza Strip on the other. Palestinians among those proponents tend to fall into two categories. Those who see a mini-Palestinian state as the first step towards the transformation of Israel into a secular, democratic and multinational state, and those who consider it as an end in itself. However, if the utterances of Israel and the United States are to be taken at face value, then the Arafat-Rabin Accords will never lead to the creation of a Palestinian state. As the then American Secretary of State, Warren Christopher, said prior to the signing of the Accords, they did not include any provision for Palestinian statehood. He also stressed that the United States has never supported a Palestinian state. His remarks were echoed by the Israeli government, which said Tel Aviv remained opposed to the creation of an independent Palestinian state. Despite this, optimists among the Palestinians and others clung to the hope that the Accords would at least lead to a psychological breakthrough among Israeli Jews who, the optimists hoped, would eventually discard their racist view of the Palestinians as lesser beings or untermenschen and see them as a people deserving of all the civil and political rights that characterize the civilized world. But such hopes, it seems, are no more than a fantasy. An opinion poll conducted by Israel's dialogue group and reported by Britain's independent newspaper in October 2012, revealed that a majority of Israeli Jews believe that the Jewish state practices apartheid against the Palestinians, with many openly supporting discriminatory policies against the country's Arab citizens. A third of respondents believe that Israel's Arab citizens should be denied the vote, while almost half, 47%, would like to see them stripped of their citizenship rights. 
The poll found that 59% of those questioned would like to see Jews given preference for public sector jobs, while half would like to see Jews better treated than Arabs. It also found that over 40% would like to see separate housing and classrooms for Jews and Arabs. A more recent poll commissioned by the Israeli human rights group B'Tselem and published in April 2021 showed that attitudes have not improved and in some respects have gotten worse. With me in this episode is Israeli writer and human rights activist Miko Pelid who will share his insights of what Israeli Jews think of the Palestinians of the Palestinians peace and justice. With me in this episode is Israeli writer and human rights activist Miko Pelled, who will share his insight of what Israeli Jews think of the Palestinians peace and justice. Welcome to our podcast Miko Pelled. Uh, first tell us about your background. You grew up in a Zionist family and your father, Matityahu Pelled, was a general in the Israeli army. When and why did you begin your journey in support of Palestinian rights? Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, like you said, my, my, my journey began from a very, very Zionist family. Uh, you know, the title of my first book, uh, my memoir is The General Son, because like you said, my father was a general and he was a general um, at a time where, uh, it, you know, the, the generals of that particular time, which is 1967, uh, were considered like um, the gods of the Olympus in, in, Israeli, in Israeli mentality and Israeli thinking. Um, and what made these generals even more mythological is that they were young officers in 1948 and they were considered the, you know, the heroes of 1948 because according to the legend, thanks to them, the state of Israel was uh, able to, um, to become a state, you know, in 1948. So, um, and I also had other members of my family who were instrumental in the establishing and, and, um, and the first few decades establishing the state and then, you know, being holding positions of, of uh, importance within the state in the first few decades. I had an uncle who was a president. I had my grandfather signed the Declaration of Independence. And so that's a very, you know, like I said, it's a very patriotic upbringing, very patriotic um, background. And then just a little over 20 years ago, I began uh, my, what I call in my book, The Journey of an Israeli in Palestine, which is basically my journey as the privileged, uh, you know, son and grandson of colonizers into the sphere, into the areas where Palestine still exists and where Palestinians actually live, which is a very, very different existence and a very different um, sphere, very different area, space than, than the ones I grew up in. Israelis grew up in these uh, privileged ghettos within Palestine, uh, and there's very no, little to no connection and communication between the two sides, even though it's a very small country, and sometimes Israelis and Palestinians are only separated by a road. Yeah, yeah. So, and then once I began this journey, and the more I traveled, the more I met Palestinians, both in the United States and uh, I mean both in Palestine and the United States and of course other countries 
I, uh, my thinking, my political thinking evolved uh, to where it is, um, you know, to where it is today, which is, uh, you know, decidedly anti-Zionist and completely rejecting the notion of the state of Israel. Right, that's very interesting. How would you actually describe present-day Israeli Jewish attitudes towards the Palestinian people on either side of the Green Line? Uh, the, findings, well, it, the, the findings of the Israeli Dialogue polling group, which I mentioned in the intro, paint quite an ugly picture. Well, there, first of all, there is no Green Line. And certainly in Israeli, in Israeli thinking, uh, there, there is no Green Line. It's all Israel from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, and that's that. And unfortunately, we have to deal with this, um, what they call hostile populations, uh, some within uh, what used to be the, the West Bank, uh, some uh, within the Palestinian citizens of Israel, because uh, as, as I'm sure you know, Israel has divided Palestinians and governs Palestinians with different bureaucracies and different laws, depending on where they reside. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Israeli thinking, first of all, there is no green line. It's all Israel. Number two, Palestinians don't exist other than as a some kind of a nuisance that has to be bombed from time to time. Uh, from time to time, uh, they come and attack us for no reason. Uh, and so we have to go in there with our brave young uh, men and women in uniform and teach them a lesson and punish them, whether it's in Gaza or in Jenin or in other places around the country. And that's, in terms of Israeli thinking, that's the only place in which Palestinians exist. And, and it actually takes up a very small space. Israelis live as though they are actually in some kind of a ghetto, some kind of a bubble within Palestine. They don't recognize that there's a Palestine uh, I think in many cases they don't even know uh, that there's a Palestine and they don't even know that the places where they live today, very recently, I mean, less than, you know, a quarter, uh, le le you know, less than a century ago, uh, was was a thriving Palestinian, a thriving country called Palestine. This, it's very, I mean, with me sitting over here, it's very hard for me to actually visualize this because as you say it's a very small country so is there no concept of the injustice that has taken place at all or of why the Palestinians uh, actually of their aspirations and of their desires is there no concept at the popular level among Israeli Jews of this no none whatsoever not in the media not in uh, not in society, and certainly not in the political sphere. Absolutely not. And anybody who dares to mention it is immediately labeled a traitor, an Arab lover. Uh, you know, uh, there's no existence for this. Uh, I, I just spent a month there. I just got back after being there for a month. And you know, this is my. F I mean, I'm there a lot. I travel back and forth all the time. And yeah. um, this 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 does not even this does not exist at all. That is really uh, appalling, and it's uh, quite a revelation for me. Uh, w would you say that the cohesion of Israeli-Jewish society is actually dependent on hatred or hostility towards the other, in this case the Palestinians? W we know there are tensions in Israeli society, socio-economic ones, as well as tensions between religious Jews and the self-styled secular li liberals. Would these tensions boil over to something more serious if the conflict with the Palestinians uh, were to be resolved? 
I don't know. I mean, I've I've heard this theory. You know, this theory has, has been in existence for for many many years. Um, uh, you know, every every immigrant society um, and every certainly every colonial society that has you know the different uh, different um, uh, levels within a society, socioeconomic levels within a, their society, has problems and has differences. Uh, I think they somehow manage to exist one way or another. Um, who knows? I mean, it, it's all theoretical. I mean, the Palestinians do exist. Um, the This idea that somehow we need to fight and be strong and united does exist. It doesn't cover up the problems. The problems exist. Uh, Palestino, many many Israelis um, realize it. It's very obvious that if you're from European descent, you have more privilege and more access to resources than if you are from, and of course, the darker your skin, the lower you are on the on the social strata, the lower you are on the on the totem pole, if you will. That's the reality. But I think that, I don't think that's unique to to Israel. That's how it is in all uh, settler colonial societies. Um, who knows what would have happened if there was no Palestinian issue? I mean, it's 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 really a, a very theoretical kind of a question that uh, is impossible to answer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my next question. I, I suppose you you've answered in a way. And basically, it was about the attitudes, the, the racist or the hostile attitudes towards the Palestinians. So they're, they're not just prevalent among the settlers. They are also amongst uh, the, the liberal community, Jewish liberal community in places like Tel Aviv. Is that is that the case? Well, let me just kind of rephrase uh, or reframe the question. First yeah. of all, there are no Israelis that are not settlers. All Israelis are settlers. Yeah, yeah. Whether they live in Tel Aviv or whether they live in Hebron, they're all settlers. We're all, oh, there's no such thing as Israelis that are not settlers. Yeah. Uh, none, no Israelis are indigenous to Palestine. We're all settlers, we're all colonizers. And we're the descendants of children and grandchildren. So it's been going on for several generations. Um, and um, there is... Uh, a real unification between what used to be liberals. There are no liberals in Israeli society. You cannot be a liberal and and and, and maintain your identity as a Zionist and Israeli. Mm. Um, it's an oxymoron. Um, and there's a very very strong campaign, which is very successful, to bring what they, they called you know to to um, to bring everybody together. You know. Uh, both the ones that are the more Tel Aviv, more perhaps maybe socially somewhat more liberal, uh, and the ones who are more religious, uh, what's called the national religious uh, movement, which are the, the, the settlers you're referring to, which are the West Bank settlers, yeah. which are uh, politically and um, seem to be more fanatic. Um, and there's a real bringing together of these of these uh, of these parts of society, and it's very very successful. And today, one of the most popular um, politicians, Itamar Ben Gvir, who was a punk, you know, he's a delinquent who grew up, who was adopted, kind of really taken uh, under the wing of of the most radical right wing, you know. A form of Zionism, which was led by a, a guy called Mayor Kahana yeah. back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Today, Ben Gvir is a lawyer, and he, of course, he's a rabid, racist, violent, hate-filled lunatic. But he is a member of the Knesset. He is a very popular figure in Israeli politics and in the media. Um, and um, uh, 
he is, you know, he, he may well be running the table after the next elections. The polls certainly show that he's going to have a significant uh, number of seats. His, his party is going to get a significant number of seats. And um, and so, yes, this, the, this, the, the, this attitude, this particular attitude or non-attitude, I should say, uh, towards the Palestinians, or the existence of Palestinians is true across the board. There is no liberal kind of peace-loving Israeli movement. That's very interesting because in, in many ways, or totally, it goes against what people like Yuri Avneri and the, uh, the, the Gush Shalom or peace uh, bloc in Israel say. They've always made the distinction between uh, this, the, the West Bank settlers, the, the religious fanatics on the one hand, and people uh, elsewhere, like in places like Tel Aviv. But what you're telling me is that this is really a bit of a myth. Yes, I mean, it's very convenient. I mean, Uri Avneri, I knew him, he worked closely with my father, he was politically the same, of the same, uh, you know, that they shared the same the same ideology politically. They were what, what they tried to call themselves kind of Zionist left, or liberal Zionist, but it was, Zion, it was always Zionist first. And it's very convenient for them to look at the settlers in the West Bank, blame them for the problems, and ignore the fact that they were sitting on Palestine, stolen Palestinian land, and that in fact, what they considered to be the legitimate part of Israel is actually the lion's share of occupied Palestine. Yeah, yeah. So they wanted to erase um, the crimes of 1948. They wanted to forget or ignore uh, the fact that the lion's share of Palestine was occupied by them in 1948 because they wanted to keep that. They wanted to keep the spoils of 1948 and then just blame these this new generation of religious Zionists who uh, went into the West Bank and say, well, see, they're the problem. But it's, 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 it's complete hypocrisy. It's a completely hypocritical perspective. The reason this strange being, this Zionist left, uh, of Neri brand of Zionist left is gone, and I think he was the last one, you know, he, paid, he passed away a couple of years ago, yeah, yeah. is because you cannot live in this, you know what I mean? You, you can't live in this reality where you call consider yourself a Zionist and also consider yourself left. You cannot live within that because Zionism is a radical, right-wing, uh, racist, violent, settler colonial ideology. To call yourself left within that is, is really a joke. Yeah, thank you. Any of you, what would it take to change Israeli views of the Palestinian people and persuade Israelis of the urgent need for a just solution that meets Palestinian national aspirations? Nothing. There's nothing can be done to convince Israelis. The only thing that can be done is to bring Israeli society to their knees, like was done with white South African society. Bring them to their knees through severe sanctions, severe sanctions, closure of all diplomatic missions, um, ending all trade and all commerce, um, making sure that Israel is uh, is not permitted to participate in the Olympics, in the World Cup, in any athletic or academic or cultural uh, spaces at all. Bring Israeli society to their knees. They won't be convinced, but they'll be forced. Yeah. Yeah. to understand that this can no longer continue. Until that happens, you know, there's no convincing uh, that could possibly work. And we're talking about the total boycott of Israel, not just of the West Bank, as some people who advocate the boycott talk about at the moment. 
No, that's a joke. There is no yeah. West Bank. Right. West Bank it only exists as a figment of people's imagination it, no, and old maps. Yeah. You know, yeah. There, there's no such thing as West Bank. It's all Israel. Uh, the Israeli cities and towns that exist within what was the West Bank are considered part of Judea and Samaria. They're completely legitimized. Israeli citizens live there, Israeli Jews. The only thing that exists from that pre-1967 reality is the status of the Palestinians who live in the pre-1967 borders. Yeah. They have a different status than the ones who reside uh, within what used to be the West Bank. And the reason for that is because this allows Israel to uh, pr pr portray itself and present itself as a Jewish majority democracy. Because what it allows Israel to do is only count the Palestinian citizens of Israel. In other words, only the, only count the Palestinians who reside in the pre-67 borders. And so if you count only them and you count all the Jews, all the Jewish Israelis, yeah. then they make up about 20%, and you can present Israel as a, uh, you know, a democratic uh, Jewish state with with a with a Palestinian, or as they like to call it, Arab minority. Whereas, if we look at the entire country, you know, and and disregard this strange, uh, you know, the, the strange division that Israel created, what we see is a state that has. Uh, that governs all of Palestine, historic Palestine, in which Palestinians are the majority, and Israeli Jews are the minority. Only they have hold all the privilege and the access to resources, and that's not a picture Israel wants to portray. So that is the only thing it keeps. But other than that, there's no West Bank. There are cities and towns and highways throughout what they call Judea and Samaria, and and and, and that's it. I mean, when you think about it, Israel created through the West Bank. There's no West Bank before 1948. The West Bank is not a somehow you know part of Palestine that was ever defined. Yeah, yeah. Somebody sat there with a piece of paper and, and a pencil and 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 drew it, yeah. uh, and then they erased it when it was convenient for them to erase it. Yeah. Right. My final question is about the Israeli understanding of peace. An Israeli Jewish acquaintance of mine once told me that when Israelis <coughs> talk about peace, they mean peace and quiet for themselves not necessarily for their neighbors, especially the Palestinians. How true is that? That's very true. That's very true. All Israelis want is a little peace and quiet, and if it means they have to, you know, drop a few tons of bombs, um, a few hundred tons of bombs on Gaza every so often, you know, so be it. It's no, no skin off their nose. And if it means that they have to invest in a military, which they love anyway, in a door anyway, that will go in and, and kill young, uh, uh, you know, young fighters in, in Jenin and Nablus and other places. And if it means they have to have thousands of political prisoners, so be it. It's a small price to pay for peace and quiet. There is no concept of, uh, and, you know, having normalized relations with other Arab countries, which, of course, they'd love to do. Um, that's, your friend was absolutely right. Well, that is an extremely depressing picture. We end up, uh, every episode of this podcast ends up with a very depressing note. Uh, well, you know what, let me say this then, you know, if people want to see change, they have to bring it about. Yeah. If we yeah. want to see change, um, you know, I think it's very likely that the, the, there will be elections in the UK before long. Um, 
people need to speak to their, their representatives and say, look, if you're going to support Israel, we won't vote for you. If you're going to support these regimes that are non-democratic and oppressive, we're not going to vote for you. Same thing here in the United States. There, there are midterm elections coming up the, later this year. And, you know, change does not come from some, you know, Salahuddin or the Mahdi showing up suddenly. Yeah, exactly. Change will come from every single one of us acting with with passion and, and uh, acting in a way that is absolutely, absolutely uncompromising. That's how we bring about change. And so if we want to see change, if we want to be optimistic, then we need to get up every morning and do something to bring about the change that we want to see. So in a way, it is optimistic because it's up to us. We do have the strength. We do have the power. Uh, we did bring, you know, topple the apartheid regime in South Africa. So, I mean, there are places where people spoke and were succeed successful. So it's up to us. Uh, that is very true. I mean, I've been in the, in the UK for a long time. And uh, I, you know, when I compare attitudes in the 1970s to attitudes now, it's a... Uh, there's been a sea change, but unfortunately, it's not radical enough to actually uh, to translate itself at the political level. As you say, more needs to be done, and, and people need to impress upon their representatives that if they want their votes, then they have to vote for justice. They have to go for justice. Yeah. That was Israeli writer and human rights campaigner Miko Pellet talking to me, Mohammed Aldafani, on five minutes to midnight about Israeli Jewish attitudes towards the Palestinian people, peace and justice.